0: Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whatever the case may be around this rotating planet. We have a very full show for you tonight, a a packed show. First of all, I want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, uh, Kwanzaa, all those. Remember, I said last night something like 14 to 17 different religious celebrations are clustered around this time of year. Well, it's because it is solstice, the winter solstice. I think we kind of historically established uh, that trend curve last night. Before we get going with our show this morning, I want to call your attention to some very dedicated work by our our, our elves behind the scenes. We're about to come out from behind the scenes. Um, first of all, I want you to go to The Other Side of Midnight. That's TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com. Click on that. That's our homepage. Then click on tonight's banner which says rather um, blatantly um, Space Force formally created, President formally impeached, last-minute prelude to disclosure. With a whole bunch of people at the bottom there, Wilbur and Chris and Jonathan and Ron and maybe some surprises. Um, first thing on that homepage, I want you to look at the top right under our rotating globe. At the very top, we have a, um, a, a, a Season of Joy and love wish from all of us to you. And that's uh, there's a graphic below that, which you click on it, it gets bigger. And um, that's a really nice graphic that uh, Robert Stanley created. And that has some symbology. I don't want to go into the symbology now. Uh, I'll go into it like next week when we have a lot more time. And then below that, we have uh, holiday music offerings from Dr. James DeMeo. Robert Morningstar called me up and he says, Hey, I've got some Christmas tunes. So Cantia made up two special pages. If you want really, really top drawer, 24 karat gold Christmas seasonal music, which is a little bit above the normal stuff you'll hear, uh, you know, if you go to a supermarket or to a, to a mall these days, I would recommend putting some of that on as background because they were very judicious and, um, Very, uh, shall we say, seasonal in the broadest sense of the word in their selections. Before we go any further, um, I'd like to give the opportunity to two of our uh, staff. And remember, everyone here is a volunteer. So you've got some people who put in extraordinary time and service and energy and thinking and creativity. um, And I'd like to bring them on right now. Uh, Cynthia, would you like to say a few words to the world?
1: Hello, and happy holidays. I'm uh, happy to um, really enjoy the feedback I get from all the listeners, all of you encouraging us in this amazing journey, and it has been an amazing journey, and we really appreciate your support. I particularly uh, invite you in this time We all have a different picture of what a better world would look like, but we have the same feeling, and that's a feeling of cooperation. It's a feeling of well-being. It's a feeling of wholeness. It's a feeling of fulfillment. It's a feeling of joy. And I invite you to just savor those feelings, and in those feelings that we align together, we can bring that reality into focus in this prosperous new year. So thank you so much for being a part of my world. I really appreciate you all. And thank you, Richard, for giving me the opportunity.
0: And thank you, Kintia, for everything you do. You know, you folks out there, you have no idea the things that Kintia accomplishes and the miracles she quietly creates and the impossible that she makes possible. And um, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that without Kintia, this show would simply not exist. So I want to acknowledge that. I want to wish you peace and happiness and joy. And you have 14 cats, I understand, to cuddle up with. Well, they're not all my cats. Well, but cats are not territorial like that. I I understand they all get along very well. Keith, you want to join in this?
1: Uh, Yes, I'd like to say happy holidays to everyone and – Keep your eyes open because I think 2020 is going to be the start to our big roller coaster ride into 2022, where we're going to see some fantastic things take place. And thank everybody for listening to the Other Side of Midnight and uh, the fantastic work that Cynthia has been doing and and Richard. And I'm glad we're getting stabilized again.
0: Well, thank you both, Keith. Uh, Keith is the technical backbone of the show. Many times he's saved us from disaster, sometimes literally in the last 10 seconds before you hear the opening theme. So again, without these two extraordinary friends that I have known for, gosh, guys, I've known you decades, absolutely decades. I never thought that our, our uh, experience, our journey would uh, matriculate into this journey together. But I got to say, Keith, I a hundred percent agree with you because as you're going to hear in the next few minutes, the settings are being laid. Extraordinary, nay, I even say magical things are not only about to happen, but they're already happening. Except no one seems yet, maybe by design, to notice. So before I bring on Wilbur, who's our first guest for this first hour, let me go through a couple of these amazing things. If you go to the other side of midnight dot click on tonight's banner. For Sunday night, uh, December 22nd, that will take you to the guest page. Click on uh, Fast Links to Items at the top of the page. That will take you to my items. Click on Richard, and that will take you right down to number one. A comet from another star, apparently, is barreling through the solar system just inside the orbit of Mars, but well below the plane of Of the planets because it's entering at about a 44 degree angle now why am I excited well if you look at item number two which is the official database small-body browser which is a very sophisticated computer system real-time interactive and you click on that it will take you to a page which shows you the the position and velocity of comet uh, Borisov which is our interstellar interloper, this visitor, that was first discovered by um, an amateur astronomer named Borisov in, of all places, Ukraine. Why does Ukraine keep recurring in this cycle of news and discussion and controversy? Well, maybe it's because that's where this comet was discovered. Now, I know For some of you, that's going to be a huge leap. Let me continue. If you go down to item number three, click on that. That will enlarge to show you, if you click on it a second time, a perspective view of the solar system with the trajectory of Borisov uh, zooming through the solar system at many times the velocity that would be required for it to be captured by the sun. So very early on after Borisov reported of the international space community back in August um, that he'd spotted something interesting. Um, someone, I think, has their has their uh, mic unmuted or whatever. I think we want to kill that. If you look in the bottom left-hand corner, there's some num- nomenclature. Um, there's the formal name for this comet, which is C-219Q4, parentheses, Borisov. That's the discoverer. Then you have tabulations of Earth distance, sun distance, and the date and time on the very bottom line. That's what we're going to focus on. Because according to this very sophisticated computer program, on the 19th of December, just two or three days ago, at about midnight, which would make it 19.5, the Earth distance to Borisov was 1.9. Five astronomical units I'm going to repeat that at 19.5 universal time on December 12th, several days ago this comet was almost exactly to three significant places at 1.95 times the distance of the Earth from the Sun now I went this afternoon and looked at comet tabulations going back, you know, Don Yeomans is a as a distant friend of mine, Tom Van Planet and I discussed comets a great deal before his tragically untimely death many years ago. There have been literally tens of thousands of comets spotted over historical records and memory. In fact, the Soho spacecraft, the NASA spacecraft that's kind of parked between the Earth and the sun in that Lagrange point, uh, orbiting the, that Lagrange point, It's it's spotted a thousand comets since it was launched several years ago, all on its own. Of all those comets, most of them are random, meaning they come in at different distances from the sun. They come in at different angles. Some of them come in opposite the direction of the planets. Some of them come in with the direction of the planets. There are some patterns that it was uh, Van Flandern who picked up on, Many, many, many years ago that allowed him to calculate that, in fact, some of these objects apparently originated in two extraordinary, stupendous, gargantuan solar system explosions of something, probably planets, at least one planet, planet four, and one object that he termed a smaller object, a moon moon that exploded for reasons that he did not have the physics to explain. The point is that aside from these non-random patterns in this background of, of signal, the patterns of comets entering and leaving the visible solar system are really, really random except for this one. Cause this one tonight which literally is passing uh, as close to the, to the Earth as it will before it heads back out into interstellar space. This one, on the uh, 19th of December, at about midnight, crossed the 19.5 line, the 1.95 astronomical units. Now, you can say, oh, you're just incredibly... Typing this object, you're looking at data that doesn't exist, you're projecting. Okay, look down to item number four. Click on that. This is now another snapshot from the JPL uh, small body database browser. Look on the bottom left-hand corner, Borisov, Earth Distance, Sun Distance, Time, and Date. On the, um, uh, let me see, where am I here? Where am I here? I think we had the wrong slide. Uh, we've had some serious issues. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I, I actually have the right slide. My bad. Okay, so now we flash forward the film a few hours to where the date is December twentieth, and the time is uh, uh, you know at the beginning of, of the uh, UTC clock. If you look at the Earth distance, it's one nine four. 7 AU 1.947 AU Now remember this whole 19.5 business is is spurred on by the idea of putting a tetrahedron a geometric structure inside a sphere and if you do that one of the points at the north pole or the south pole the other three points of this tetrahedron will extend up or down to 19.47 degrees north or 19.47 degrees south of the equator of a rotating planetary sphere. This is our fundamental circumscribed tetrahedral geometry, which is, of course, the code key for the whole hyperdimensional torsion field physics model. Because as we've noted over the years, all kinds of interesting things are occurring at 19.47 north and south on planets all across the solar system. This is where energy wells up, um, taking the form of massive shield volcanoes on Earth and Mars at that latitude, the great red spot of Jupiter at that latitude on Jupiter, and the peak latitude of sunspots, both north and south, as discovered many decades ago by an astronomer named Eugene Parker, for whom NASA named the Parker Solar Probe, It was Parker who discovered and then I discovered from him that the peak latitude in the changing sunspot cycle every roughly 11 years is at 19.5 north and south on the sun. So we're obviously looking at a universal physics pattern of stellar and planetary energy movement, which is now being underscored by the precise distance on the 20th of December, three days ago. Um, in the afternoon, by uh, U.S. afternoon, by this comet zipping past the sun at 1.947 AU, as measured by over 1,200 individual telescopic observations of the trajectory of comet Borisov by astronomers around the world who then channel those observations to Harvard and to JPL that then have incorporated those data points into the computer program. So when we say this object on the afternoon of the 20th, a couple, three days ago, passed us at 1.947 AU, that is a fact. That is an undeniable fact to four significant figures. Okay. Here's the biggie. Go back out of that. Go down to item number five, click on item number five. This is now the distance of Borisov on January 7th of next year, 2020, January 7th of next year. At that time, this comet, which, remember, is screaming in at extraordinary velocities, very shallow trajectory, never to return, uh, kind of running parallel to the planetary orbits for you know several days that's when it will cross back out across the 1.95 au distance from earth you can read it down there in the left hand corner and that is on january 7th now why is january 7th interesting well let me go back to the previous slide let me go back to number 4 why is that 1.947 Um, distance from Earth, the precise hyperdimensional tetrahedral angle, why is that important on the afternoon of the 20th? Because that's when President Donald J. Trump signed the uh, Defense Authorization Act, authorizing the creation of the Space Force, the sixth military uh, service branch of the U.S. Department of Defense, signed as comet Borisov was streaking distantly past the Earth 1.947 astronomical units away. And of course, when we do this, because it's a code, you just drop the decimal points. So these are all metanomic reflections of 1.95 or 19.5 over and over again. Okay, now we go to next year, January 7th. Why is that important? Because that's the date, according to the current uh, House and Senate interactions, when this trial of the president, his impeachment trial, is supposed to begin on planet Earth that day. So we have an interstellar object coming out of the dark, moving at speeds that no object previously in the solar system has ever been seen to have achieved, meaning it is not tethered to the sun It's a one-time visitor, but somehow it seems to know and mark key moments in currently occurring terrestrial history, almost like it's a metronome marking in time the extraordinary events taking place on this planet anticipatory to more extraordinary events before. Okay, next one. Go to number six. Um, Over the last couple of days, on the afternoon of the 20th, at the same time, roughly, actually it was in the morning of the 20th, many hours before the president signed the creation of the Space Force uh, legislation, the Boeing Aircraft Company in Chicago and in Seattle, that's where they used to be headquartered in Seattle, the same folks that make the Boeing 707 and the extraordinarily fraught with danger uh, 737 MAX, And the um, other major, uh, really, I mean, astonishing list of aircraft, the 747. Think about that. Why did Boeing call its airplane the 747? Which, by the way, translates to 19.47 in uh, 24-hour time. Well, on the morning of the 20th, remember, the same day that this little comet, Borisov, is passing 1.947 AU away, Boeing launches its spacecraft, brand-new spacecraft called the CTS-100 Starliner uh, on a mission which is supposed to take it and a bunch of onboard Christmas gifts to rendezvous with the International Space Station later this coming week. Except soon after launch, it became very apparent, as that story will relate if you click on, on that item, that there was something radically wrong Uh, With the mission because the spacecraft wound up in a totally wrong orbit. It wasted almost all its fuel. It could not reach the space station. So this morning here in the New Mexican deserts down south of me at White Sands, Boeing and NASA brought the spacecraft out of orbit after orbit 33. Think about that. And they landed it at White Sands very successfully on land. First, Human spacecraft, because this is going to be one of the two private enterprise space mission uh, vehicles, which takes astronauts to and from the International Space Station and maybe, you know, farther beyond. They landed it at White Sands, and then they discovered and they relayed to the press the reason for the abrupt abortion of the mission, the truncation, so it landed much sooner for the first time, however, on land on airbags and parachutes, was because there was a clock timing error in the spacecraft computer, which caused its engines to misfire and wildly send it into a different orbit and waste fuel, which made it impossible for it to reach a rendezvous with the space station. Why is any of this important? Because the clock error turned out to be a mysterious 11 hours. And 11, as those of you who have been following our work carefully for many years know, is another mathematical code for 19.5 degrees. Do you begin to see something interesting going on? Okay, let's continue. All right. Go down to number seven. Trump boasts newly created Space Force will allow U.S. to control the ultimate high ground. Let me read you what the president said. Very interesting. With my signature today, we will witness the birth of the Space Force, which will be the sixth branch of the United States Armed Forces. Continuing, he said, that is something really incredible. It's a big moment. There's a big moment, and we're all here for it. Space. I'm hearing noise in the background, please. Oh, I see why that's See, these computers. I don't like computers. Ah. They do that all the time. Let me kill that. Okay. Sorry. Anyway, he says that is something really incredible. It's a big moment. That's a big moment. We're all here for it. Space. Going to be a lot of things happening in space. And on that, I can certainly agree. Now, remember, when he made this speech and he's signing this document, initiating basically what he says in his continuing you know, presentation, space is the world's newest warfighting domain amid grave threats to our national security. American superiority in space is absolutely vital, and we're leading, but we're not leading by enough. But very shortly, we'll be leading by a lot. Gosh, is that is that some kind of harbinger of things to come? Remember, as he's saying this, this interstellar interloper, which obviously has been designed, obviously has been directed, obviously has been carefully sent on its own hyperdimensional coded mission, is passing Earth at 1.947 AU. Last item, number eight. At the same time that all this is occurring, 3,000 miles away, under that very secretive U.S. naval base in the Mojave Desert called China Lake, five new earthquakes, top one about 3.1 on the Richter scale, took place, bang, 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 five, rattling this base, which, as you know, in July of this year— essentially had to shut down because of a 7.1 magnitude earthquake which took place almost directly under the China Lake base. Are you beginning to see some kind of big pattern? Is it possible that this object, Borisov, is in essence a Christmas star, a harbinger of something extraordinary to come, as Keith and Kintia are anticipating something wonderful. And the good old U.S. military-industrial complex is responding the way all military-industrial complex respond to unknown apparitions. They're thinking that it might be some kind of threat. I don't think so. I think just the opposite, and I think what we're seeing by the mainstream, the response of signing the Space Force, what's happening under under China Lake, the overwhelming things that you're going to hear about in the next half hour that are, um, are going to be part of Wilbur's presentation, they're all part of something something much more extraordinary, which is the introduction to my favorite Christmas song. Do you
1: see what I see? Do you see what I see? Way up in the sky, little land. Do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? A star, a star, dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite. With a tail as big as a kite. Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy Do you hear what I hear? Do you hear what I hear? Ringing through the sky, shepherd boy Do you hear what I hear? Do you hear what I hear? Do hear, what I hear? A song, a song high above the tree With a voice as big as the sea with a voice as big as the sea said the shepherd boy to the mighty king, do you know what I know what I know, know, what I know. in your palace born mighty king?
0: Do you know what I know what I, know? Know what I know. A child
1: Let us bring him silver and gold. Let us bring him silver and gold. Send the king to the people everywhere. Listen to what I say. To what I say, what I say. The child
0: You know this is a very, very, very special very time of year. I'm and I'm hearing unkill. Why am I hearing anything coming people. back? That's very bizarre. That should not be happening. Ah You see when you when when you do all this, sometimes things get crossed wires. Let me let me pick up again. This is a special time of year because it's the time when most folks think about the thing that human beings should automatically be doing 24-7, 365 days. They think about giving. The giving, of course, that you can do tonight is something very special. If you go to our homepage, click on the homepage, the other side of midnight.com, very top you'll see a banner for Pure Water, the purity company for the Bahamas. The one thing you can do right now they can make a difference—a real difference—in so many people's lives. Is to click on the uh, little button below, which says "Yes, I want to help." You remember the tragic, awful hurricane that decimated the northern Grand Bahama Islands? Click on that banner and um, give what you can. This is a remarkable technology. It takes the place when you uh, uh, change the filter you know, but, uh, between filter changes. Um, you need to um, think about how many bottles of ordinary water in the plastic delivered, you know, from charity organizations. Um, you, You need to think about why you might want to replace those with this kind of technology. Because this technology will never wear out. You just replace the filter, and each filter lasts for almost 500 ordinary bottles of water. Think of the gift of life, the water of life. Think of the magic you can introduce into people thousands of miles away who've never heard from you and never can hear from you, but suddenly out of the uh, charity organizations, the worldwide help, which is going to, to help these people stranded as they are literally on an island or two, you can give them the gift that will give on giving day after day, month after month, and year after year. Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy Hanukkah, and joy to all. I want to bring on my first guest tonight because, and there's something weird about this this hookup. I don't understand. Okay, maybe I do that. Okay, then I do that. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing feedback from somebody. I, maybe maybe Wilbur has his uh, his phone open. Maybe that's it. No, I do not. Okay. Well, something's going on here. I'm getting this weird feedback, and it's never happened before. Oh, well, we will, we will journey on. My first guest tonight to talk about some of these really bizarre occurrences in the sky that we've been referring to is Wilbur Allen. Um, Wilbur's been on the show many, many, many times. So let me give you a brief background on who Wilbur Allen is and why what he's going to report is very important to pay attention to. Uh, There we are. Wilbur Allen is a UFO researcher and a contactee who has forensically documented sightings and anomalies discussed NASA's confirmation of the existence of hidden portals in Earth's magnetic field and has recorded an almost unending database of extraordinary visual events occurring above the U.S. nation's capital for many, many years. Wilbur has related these portals to potential wormholes and believes that they are the means that ET craft travel into our world and then into, into other dimensions exiting our world. These apparent wormholes are associated with Earth's north and south poles, and Admiral Byrd was likely seeing E.T. Kraft traveling out of the South Pole wormhole during his expedition, according to his own journals. These wormholes could lead into another universe or a set of universes or dimensions and may account for unusual appearances and anomalies, such as in the Bermuda Triangle. All the reports, Wilbur says, associated with UFOs, for example, objects that show up on radar and then mysteriously disappear, could be entering or exiting through portals associated with these wormholes. Allen reports that data from the Mir space station indicates objects were traveling into and out of wormholes on a daily basis. He's also documented, as I said a moment ago, frequent activity in terms of UFOs above Washington, D.C., and even over the White House. And without further ado, Wilbur, you're on the air.
2: Thank you for having me, Richard. Hello, Cynthia. Hello, Keith. Um, It's great to be back.
0: Well, it's great to have you back. Now, we have an extraordinary amount of data that you provided to Radio with Pictures. We're not going to obviously have time to go through all of it, uh, but it's going to be there for people to look at afterwards, the members of Club 19.5 to uh, research carefully. Where would you like to begin? We don't have a lot of time, so where would you like to start? And let's let's start
2: with the um, consistency of the objects that I'm getting at my present location and the consistency associated to the objects that I'm getting in my present location associated to Washington, D.C. We were talking earlier that I had uh, mentioned to you that I was getting an object repeatedly within one region of space every time I set up my telescopes at, at whatever location I would set them up. And what's interesting is that in the way that I would align my cameras and telescopes in both locations here in Virginia and in Washington, D.C., along the same trajectories and, and basically in in the same perspective in space, I'm getting the same object that I got in Washington, D.C. here in Virginia.
0: Wait, wait, wait. wait. That sounds geometrically impossible.
2: It sounds exactly exactly as abstract as as what i'm saying but what's interesting is i can show you files taken in washington dc of a specific anomaly and the same anomaly taken here in virginia with my cameras aligned along the same perspective as i would align them in washington dc and the objects here and the objects in virginia are aligned
0: exactly the same So for folks that can't visualize this, and I know I had difficulties myself, you set the camera up facing straight up at what we call the zenith, the point in the the sky that's directly above your head. If you crane your neck back and look straight up into space, that's the zenith point, and then you align it so the edges of the frame are north, south, east, west. Yes, exactly. Okay, and you did that in D.C., downtown D.C., when you move down to where you are now, which is about 60, 70 miles uh, southwest exactly. of, of D.C. I,
2: I did the same thing in Alaska. I did the same thing in Sedona. I did the same thing in Shreveport, Louisiana. And in all of the locations that I would set my cameras up specifically located 90 degrees above my head, I would get
0: the same object. Hmm. Now, what does that tell you?
2: Well, you know, I, I had a rather unusual childhood. Um, my parents were U.S. Air Force. My parents worked SAC, Strategic Air Command, and my parents were experts in nuclear weapons. And um, <clears throat> at a base in England, RAF Sculthorpe, um, I was visited by a group of small extraterrestrials. They looked like children in silver spacesuits. They implanted me with something. And whatever they implanted me with Caused me to vomit nightly for about seven years of my life, in my childhood. Good Christ. Religiously. And then when the vomiting stopped, the object started landing in front of me. Came out of the sky and started landing in front of me.
0: So, how do you interpret
2: that? Well, it's interesting. Um, I believe that whatever I was implanted with is uh, a two way transponder because I will send a message for an object to appear. And as I send the message forward, the object appears on my screen. So we have a connection. It's interesting. Um, It all started in Area 51 while filming uh, My Big Redneck Vacation for Country Music Television. And in Area 51, outside the perimeter of the base, I documented this streak of light. It was straight at one point, but as I was filming it, it started slithering like a snake And as it started slithering, it sent me a telepathic message instructing me to leave immediately. And without hesitation, um, I packed my gear and left immediately. And within one minute of leaving, a jeep with uh, two guys, which had a machine gun mounted under top, which was a security jeep from Area 51, came to my location because I was in the area specifically designated not for photography, and I was taking pictures. And they were indeed coming for me and my camera. But the extraterrestrials that I documented warned me ahead of time to get out of there one minute before the, um, the authorities showed up, so to speak. And at that point, um, they started following me. And that was in 2012. And I have now 2,300 files associated to the object that documented initially in area 51, I have 2,300 files associated to that, to that object to this day.
0: So the evidence would indicate to an outside observer like me that you were or have been selected yes. to interact with these beings, mm. people, yes. folks, relatives, no. whatever we want to call them. And when you move from D.C., the pattern of these unusual things you photographed in the sky at the zenith stays the same because the message is to you. Yes, that's pretty amazing.
2: Well, it's absolutely extraordinary in a sense. When you look at for for the fact that the research that I've been conducting since 2010, I'm the only person on earth with this data. How is that possible?
0: Well, <laughs> that is pretty impressive, I got to say. Okay, we don't have a lot of time. So what I want to do is I want to go through uh, some of the other things that you have brought to the table tonight. You've been kind of tabulating unusual events seen all around the world, yes, and let's go through some of those quickly, and then, at, at people's leisure, they can go through the rest of the data but when when I said at the top of the show that this is anticipatory to something is coming, something big is about to break, the correlative data that supports that assertion is there's unusual visual anomalies occurring in skies all over the planet at an accelerating pace.
2: Well, what's interesting is that what they say is coming is here. And that that's a little different. And even more interesting is specifically the object that I'm getting in a nightly basis is an object that was initially documented by Groom in 308-1960 during Project ECHO. And during Project ECHO, they recorded on the ground with a Grumman technology that was specific to the monitoring of satellites, an anomaly which they described as a streak of light which stretched from state to state. Now, the objects I'm getting here… Wait, wait, wait. wait.
0: When, When was this? 308, 1960.
2: 308,
0: meaning March 8th? The 8th.
2: Yes, Mark? 1960.
0: Okay. 1960, which is decades and decades ago, over over half a century.
2: Yes. Right. And the specifics associated to that report indicated that where there was a red anomaly, which they described as a vapor initially, but then it went on to describe the anomaly as a streak of light. Now, what's interesting is the anomalies that I'm getting here on a nightly basis, and I got anomalies which I do a comparative analysis with and in terms of a comparative analysis, meaning I'm getting one specific anomaly consistently. So with consistent documentation, I'm able to do a comparative analysis associated to whatever this object is. And based on the data that I've accumulated associated to this object is that this object is more likely anywhere from seven to 15 miles long. And we're talking about putting people in space as a space force, and I'm talking about spaceships that are 10, 20 miles long. What possibility do you think an earthly technology could possibly have against an object that can fold space in multiple directions, open doors into other dimensions?
0: Yeah, but isn't that what isn't, that, isn't that, but isn't that what military does? You
2: well, know, you know it. It. it I. I've got to say, and you know, I, I come from a, a Air Force background, and you know, without a doubt, over the life time that I've been on U.S. military bases, I have to say that indeed the United States Air Force did have contact with extraterrestrials at all the bases that I was associated at. So, and it's interesting that, and in mentioning all the bases I lived at as a child, and my parents had military housing on base, and on base is where I would get the visitations from the small extraterrestrials, which would appear as they would in Star Trek, like trans- transporter technology, they would beam in and beam out. And it was interesting that consistently at all the bases that the entities were all the same.
0: Now, when you said a spacecraft, are we talking about one object or are we talking about a class of objects that are all the same size same configuration well, in 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 the data that i'm getting based on the data it, it
2: appears to be the same object so i'm going to say specifically with relative association to the data that i've accumulated with this hyperstar lens that this one particular anomaly is indeed consistent with um what gruman documented in 1960.
0: okay now, we have tons and tons of video that you put up in Radio with Pictures. Pick the best example of what you're talking about, and let's direct people's attention. Well, well we
2: can we can do this, and people who are listening, you can easily go to the status, and, and when you search the band of light UFO2, or you search Grumman 308-1960, Grumman 308-1960 – is specific to the red object and I'm getting in uh, 470 angstroms detect the uh, wavelength of infrared in which I'm filming 60 frames per second on a nightly basis I'm getting a red object which is absolutely incredible and in fact that I used two specific um, optical tube assemblies to document and alignment certain events and I was fortunate to be able to capture with two optical tube assemblies, this one specific red object. And in in infrared, the object was red while in the normal range camera, the object was almost invisible, which would indicate that based on our level of vision that whatever this object would have been, it would have been absolutely impervious to our eyes or totally invisible. Okay. Based on the um, documentation. So, again, document.
0: in Radio with Pictures, in your items, which one should people look at and click on?
2: They're they're all the same. That's what's interesting about this whole conversation because based on the data, the
0: objects okay. in I, I and see, the objects I see item white. number six says red band of light quad layer RGBKL IR portal entry analysis, and yes. it's a video. So let's click on that. Go to, go to, uh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. on. I'm trying not to confuse people. Go to Wilbur's Items. Click on, you know, fast link to Wilbur's Items. That will take you on his page down to number six. I'm clicking on number six. Video starting. I see a whole bunch of streaks. They Uh,
2: appear. They appear. They will fly into the airspace.
0: They appear
2: into the airspace. And that's what's interesting. All of those are in the same region of space.
0: Well, the stars are the same. Obviously, the stars are the same. So this is appearing as the background star. I see multicolors.
2: I go because it's full-color infrared. I'm able to look at the objects in RGBK, which is red, green, blue.
0: Uh, Sorry.
2: (laughs) No problem.
0: It's a night of little technical hiccups.
2: I'm, I'm having an issue here. My phone will turn off. (laughs) <laughs>
0: of course. Maybe it's maybe it's them. <laughs> anyway, let's just try to ignore that. I see a these almost look like meteor streaks, except they're not.
2: They're not. They're uniform, consistent. Yep. Uh, yep. With, with uniform
0: consistency. They're that's all they're all the same brightness. They're yes. different azimuths, different angles to the to the uh, framing. The stars don't change. The background stars. But I'm seeing yellow, I'm seeing red, green. So they're. they're, With
2: with full color infrared, I get to look at all the variables associated to whatever the. Wait, wait, wait. You
0: you keep saying full color infrared and you're completely confusing me because infrared is not full color. What you mean is your sensor can see from violet all the way to infrared. And the, full infra- spectrum. and the infrared channel is assigned the red for human vision, and the rest of the spectrum is apportioned appropriately, right?
2: Yes, yes.
0: So we're seeing multi – I'm going to recycle this – we're seeing multi-colored objects that must be narrow band color emitters to be visible as different colored streaks on a sensor which has a full spectrum sensitivity.
2: Absolutely, and I'm using filtration at 470 angstroms, which is hypercolor infrared. It's a level of technology that. No, wait, relatively wait, 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 wait,
0: 470 angstroms is not. That's ultraviolet. Infrared it's in, is in, infrared. in between.
2: It's in between. It's in, in, between. Infrared in between. Infrared is infrared and ultraviolet.
0: Infrared is 7,000 angstroms and beyond. Eight thousand, yes. seven thousand. You know, the short end of the spectrum is 4,000 angstroms. So, so you're you're seeing multiple objects arrayed in different colors. Now, have you tried any kind of patterning analysis, like how often they show up, how often the colors well, there, show up? There's,
2: show there's up? time code associated to all the files. So in, in, in interesting you would mention that because, for example, on the Tic Tac objects I would get, they're all seeming to appear all within a certain period of time before dawn and a certain time before dusk. So it's interesting there's a pattern associated to when these objects do appear. What's even more interesting is the streaks of light that I'm getting with the camera that I'm using currently are the same streaks of light that are imaged by the U.S. Navy Solar Observatory orbiting the sun. So we have one particular sample from the Navy Solar Observatory, which is on the uh, band of light UFO-2 associated to my research. You okay. see there are samples associated to the anomalies that were captured by the U.S. Navy at the Solar Observatory. Do you know
0: which, which number of your items that is?
2: Um, no, I'm, I'm right now because I'm, I'm um, on, a, a, on my Skype page. I don't have dual screen on this particular computer. Okay. Since it is my newer computer so, not...
0: so give me the title again because I can obviously see the whole. You can just
2: Google the U.S. Navy Solar Observatory Band of Light, and it's on the Band of Light UFO Two, which is a chapter on my website ufodc.com.
0: Okay. Is it part of what you loaded into Radio Pictures tonight?
2: Yes. Yes. The data specific to the information that I sent to, Cynthia is on all of the chapters that I mentioned
0: okay. just now. And the title of it would be uh band of blood. I band see of light. I see UFO tic tac quad layer, etc. Um I'm looking at uh you know if we can direct everybody to the same thing it would be helpful.
2: So I I, I can um maybe later on uh, at I'm looking at a blank screen actually because I'm on Skype at the moment. But yes, if people go to my website. They can find the information associated to the research easily. Just scroll down on ufodc.com and you'll see the uh, sample which the U.S. Navy uh, documented, I believe, in 2015 orbiting the sun. And it's exactly like the same object that I documented um, in Washington, D.C., 10-10-2016 in P-53 restricted airspace.
0: Okay. If you fast click on Wilbur's bio that will take you down to a picture of him, obviously outside at night, <laughs> looking at a camera kind of quizzically, take it at 63 below zero in the Arctic circle for the A&E history, uh, missing in Alaska. Uh, right next to that picture, there are three links. There's a geographic uh, link. There's uh UFO DC links, two of those. The UFO DC sure. link is Wilbur's website. Click on that. And then once they're on that, how do they find this this UFO uh, solar uh, observatory data you were talking about?
2: Um, they can just go and scroll down. It's directly beneath. It, everything is categorized on my website. If they go to the homepage, ufodc.com, you'll see a series of photographs. And in one particular series of photographs, you see this streak of light, which looks like it has a green laser beam shooting out the back of it which is the spacecraft we're discussing in this particular conversation. But it's also the exact same spacecraft documented by the Navy, NASA's Solar Observatory, um, I believe in 2015. If you look at the data, they're exactly the same object. What's interesting is the Navy sample um, is exactly the same as a sample taken 10-10-2016 in P-53 restricted airspace, which is four blocks from the White House, by the way, and four blocks from the White House, I was getting objects entering the airspace that were, let's just say, much larger than aircraft carriers, much larger.
0: Okay, let's let's hit it on the head. People are going to spend a lot of time browsing around both tonight's page this dedicated to you, as well as uh, Wilbur's website, you know, UFO DC. I don't want to waste a lot more time. We only got about five minutes to the top of the hour. Bottom line, do you think that the president's inauguration of this Space Force, obviously with the concurrence of the military. Do you think it's in response to this phenomenon?
2: I I believe so, because my data has been sent to the White House, and they have taken in consideration seriously the research that I submitted to them. You know, it's even even more compelling is the fact that it's 100% consistent with U.S. military research, and that it basically indicates that The objects that were documented in space by the U.S. military, especially the U.S. Navy, are now in our airspace without a doubt.
1: Hmm.
0: But they've been here for a very long time. So why the delay? Why is the presidency, this administration, why are they only now inaugurating a Space Force? Why wasn't it done under Truman? Under Eisenhower, under Makes Kennedy. The frequency,
2: the frequency of events wasn't quite as consistent as it is right now. I'm talking about, and especially with this particular red object that I'm constantly documenting, I'm getting the object on a nightly basis, and I'm talking nightly now for the last three years. So it's interesting that if I'm able to get an object with consistency as such, it would indicate without a doubt that whoever is piloting this object as a presence-associated or a base in in on our planet
0: right now so the escalating number of appearances you think may be the driving trigger for yes indeed okay but there's a whole bunch of other phenomena going on all over the world again if you go and look at uh, wilbur's site or you go to his items tonight there's abundant visual documentation of some really interesting anomalies that, again, if you look at it once, you'll you'll say, oh, meteors. No, 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 no. no, no.
2: <laughs> These are no, not meteors. Meteors don't have consistency. You know, that's what makes this interesting. All the objects that I photograph have uniform consistency. A meteor, and I have samples which were.
0: Now, when you for... say that, you mean they have uniform width and uniform length. Yes. And they're in different narrow colors they're like yes. brilliant neon signs yes. flashing across the sky yes. and meteors don't do that they they can't do that they they literally are not that phenomenon so not this
2: not not that ran not not with that consistency you know we're talking about randomness associated with astrological object probability of seeing a meteor or a shooting star it's a million to one but my data is completely contrary to that
0: Now, if people were to go outside and just look up, like you have your cameras, what would they visually see if they – let's say they lay down in a lawn chair. Uh, Rob and I actually used to do that to observe.
2: Nothing, nothing, because because the level of, of sensitivity in which I'm filming these objects is um, uh, at least 200, 300 times greater than that of a human. Okay, stop a there. Stop, 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 stop,
0: stop. Wilbert, please, listen carefully. We have little time. I'm trying to pack a huge amount of information. You know, this is like a like blivet, which means the phenomenon you're recording is not for the general public. It's for a very select audience. audience right? Yes, it is. Okay. Yes, okay. it is. And you, for some reason... Maybe the contact, the implants, all that. You're part of that audience. You know what to look for. But you're obviously not the only one with access to this kind of technology. So now let's go Let's go back to Borisov. Borisov tonight is a comet with, at about 16.43 magnitude. That is over 10,000 times dimmer. And I'm getting feedback from you again. 10,000 10, times dimmer uh, than, than, the, than the faintest star that you can see with the human naked eye on a, on a dark landscape. Here's the point. Borisov is 10,000 times dimmer than can be seen with the human eye or even with an average telescope. You've got a really big high-end amateur or a professional to even see Borisov's trajectory. So these two data sets, this is critical For the evening, these two data sets, although widely available, if you got the right gear and know where to look, are completely invisible to 99.99999% of the human population of 7 billion people on the planet tonight, meaning this is a phenomenon which is communicating only to the elites, only to the military only to top-level governments around the world, only to very high-end amateurs, of which there aren't very many around the world. This is not a democratic phenomenon. This is a selective phenomenon with basically one audience, and that audience is not us. It's the folks that govern us. We'll come back to this. Uh, I'm a little bit past my break. So I think Chris can do some uh, editing there. Uh, speaking of Chris, Chris is going to be our next guest. Wilbur, you stay where you are. We're going to bring you back for an appropriate handoff. Um, we have a very special treat tonight. Chris Rogers is our resident musicologist. He's a trumpet player of extraordinary talent. He is a—he's um, editing the other side of midnight for us. For various audiences, bandwidths, hours, segments, websites, etc. And tonight we're going to be featuring Chris's music as our bumpers. The other side, this is called Voyage Home, which I think is really, really appropriate. Over and out.